Exploring Chiropractic, Episode 42, Chiropractic VA Residencies with Dr. Stephen Heibrecht. Hey guys, I'm absolutely loving Blinkist. Blinkist takes great works of nonfiction, classics like The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People or Simon Sinek's Start With Why, and it summarizes it down, distills it into two-minute blinks, which are summaries of the memorable key messages of the book. So I know you guys are busy, you're in school, you've got a lot of reading to do, but you've also got to keep up on what's going on in the world of business, psychology, leadership. Blinkist will help you do it in a fraction of the time. Check it out at exploringchiropractic.com forward slash B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist, a smarter you in 15 minutes. Welcome back to Exploring Chiropractic. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Cashin, and this is the only student chiropractic podcast. My guest this episode is Dr. Stephen Heibrecht, who is a graduate of Northwestern University of Health Sciences. After two years in private practice, he earned a spot as the chiropractic resident at the VA St. Louis Healthcare System. Dr. Heibrecht's professional interests include chronic pain management for veterans, organizational leadership, and state and national advocacy. And his recent article, A Typical Week in the St. Louis VA Medical Center, is part of a new series of blogs from the current VA residents on the American Chiropractic Association website. I hope you enjoy this interview with Dr. Stephen Heibrecht. I'm curious, when you were a little kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think the earliest that I can remember is I wanted to be an architect. Oh, wow. I was always fascinated by buildings and like tall structures and everything, and I really liked the design aspect of it. And uh, in high school, I thought I might do that, actually. Um, I took some architectural drafting classes and, um, you know, really got into it a little bit and then um, went a different route. We actually ended up in chiropractic. We kind of got things got changed because uh, I got hurt playing high school football. So and then, you know, like a lot of folks, I had a story where I was helped by a local chiropractor and that just got the ball rolling. Yeah, almost everybody that I've interviewed has basically that story. So you a football injury. Um, mm-hmm. Was a chiropractor your first choice, or were you not getting relief until you went to one? How did that pan out? Um, yeah, so initially I, you know, got was seen by uh, the athletic trainer, um, and they recommended I go into the hospital. Got it checked out, uh, X-rays and everything, and looked good. Can I ask um, you what the injury was? Uh, it was a, a low back injury with sciatica. Um, I was quarterback. I dropped back to pass. A guy hit me from behind and just completely blindsided me. So, um, I had pain down my leg for a few weeks, wasn't getting better, went in, you know, uh, they gave me some exercises through physical therapy, gave me some pain medication, uh, which I didn't like cause it made me foggy and I was a fairly good student and I didn't really want to, you know, feel that way when I was in school. So somebody, I don't remember even who it was said, you know, go try this chiropractor out. And so it went in and I just remember he uh, he did his analysis, his examination, you know, looked over my X-rays, and he said, ah, you know, I think I can get some things moving here. And he put me on put me on my side and did uh, you know what you would call a side posture adjustment uh, in the business. And I just remember everything moving, and it was so loud. And and I got up and I was like, I don't have any pain anymore. This is what did you do? You're a wizard. Like uh, this is so cool. So um, yeah, I had definitely kind of one of those aha moments. And um, and that that was just uh, kind of what got the ball rolling. Like I said. Cool. So pretty quick mm-hmm. relief from it. Yeah, it was like almost instantaneous relief. And I think I saw him four or five times over the course of like three weeks. And um, after that, it was completely resolved. Wow. Okay. Was that kind of the turning point? Or did that just kind of put an idea in your head to become a chiropractor? Uh, that was what put the, put the idea in my head. Because um, when I went to, to college at UW Lacrosse, I ended up doing... Um, kind of pre-med, you know, pre-whatever, pre-something along the, uh, pre-professional, I guess is what you would call it, um, like biology major and chemistry minor, and um, actually started leaning towards dentistry for whatever reason, um, and then I just realized one day that I, I don't want to look inside someone's mouth every morning, <laughs> so so I, uh, uh, it just kind of circled back to chiropractic. Um, I was an exercise science major um, at the time, I transferred over into that from the, the bio and chemistry, 
um, cause I just realized that I wasn't, uh, wasn't that great at chemistry. I mean, it was, it was interesting, but it was, it was tough and there would be a lot more of it. So I was like, Oh, let's go into something I like a little more, you know, biomechanics, kinesiology and that and phys was, was great. So I went down that route instead and, um, had some, some good mentors, some folks that I could kind of lean on and they, they uh, guided me in what I, you know, would like to think is a good direction. So. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Kim was my nemesis. Um, I really enjoyed the exercise science stuff though. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, cool to, um, to be able to push your way through that, but not have to deal with it really ever again, I guess. Exactly. It was like, uh, you know, I've done a year of this. Uh, I think that's enough. Let's, uh, I don't want to do this for the next three years. So, <laughs> um, did you have any other influences say while you're going through undergrad that, that kind of pushed you towards chiropractic? Um, when I was in, in school, they had some meetings and whatnot pre-chiropractic club. And so I started going to a few of those, um, and that got me more interested. And then, um, I actually went and, and shadowed one of the local chiropractors and which I ended up doing a senior, um, internship with kind of like a full-time, you know, 40 hours a week working in his office. So, um, who he was the one who actually turned me on to Northwestern. I was like dead set on going to Palmer cause that doc that helped me back in my hometown went to Palmer. And so I was like, that's where I'm going to go. You know, that's, that's just it. And, um, I went and visited Palmer and I liked it and everything was good. And then I was telling this to that doc that I worked for and he said, well, have you thought about Northwestern? And I said, ah, you know, I've looked into it, but I, I just was kind of always set on Palmer and he's like, well, you should go check it out at least, you know, give it a shot. I think based on what, you know, I know your interests are and, you know, kind of who you are as a person, I think you might like it. And I went up there and, and just completely changed my mind. Like I, I was just like, this is it. And like Northwestern is the place I want to be. It just, it felt, it felt right. You know, it was, and I don't know exactly what it was, um, that I could, you know, pinpoint. It wasn't like one particular thing. It was just more of a feeling like it felt more like home. So, huh. um, yeah, it was, you, it was interesting. You had already been to Palmer, so you knew I had. you mm-hmm. you kind of had that idea of what the curriculum might be like, what their you know what their approach to it was, maybe even just the environment as well. Yeah, and something about Northwestern was more authentic or more just felt better to you. Yeah, yeah, and again, I don't know if it was um, that it's a little more progressive, um, you know, on the spectrum of schools. Um, it's not the most progressive, but it's a little more progressive. Um, I like that they're more evidence-based, um, than some schools. Um, and I, I think one of the things that I also really liked about it was the location. Um, you know, the Twin Cities has a lot of extracurricular things to offer too. And I liked that it was nestled in Bloomington, which is a, su- a suburb south of Minneapolis. So, I mean, the airport's close, the Mall of America's close. You, it's there's lots of good hiking there's lakes everywhere it just felt felt more like home because i grew up in northern wisconsin so um i wasn't in a city per se but as far as nature and the environment and some of those extracurricular things it, it, it um i think drew me in a little more okay where in wisconsin did you grow up uh ashland wisconsin up at, uh, on lake superior it's about as far north as you can get before okay. you okay. run into run into canada <laughs> yeah i was there just a couple months ago and now i don't remember little little town or yep, about, friend about of my wife. Eight thousand people or so. Yeah. Okay. Very mm-hmm. cool. Um. Great. I'm no. I'm glad you kind of shared those those pieces of why you chose the school you went to. Um. So is was Northwestern the closest to you in the end? Closest to my hometown, it ended up being yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay. I would say National was probably second closest, and then Palmer being third. But Palmer and National were probably close to being equal. About the same. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm always curious about, you know, do, do students just pick the one that's closest to them or do they evaluate the other aspects mm-hmm. of the school? And yeah, and that's kind of what I try to encourage students to do is to, mm-hmm. you know, sure, look at the one closest, but, but really evaluate all those different aspects because you're going to be there for three to four years every yeah. day of your life. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that's a great point because I wouldn't say that I looked outside of the Midwest even, you know, I was like, family was a big thing to me. I wanted to be close to, you know, go home for holidays and, and whatnot, not have to pay for flights. Um, and so like, you know, Western States, they're a very progressive school, um, you know, heavy in, um, like masters in exercise science, things like that, which I think would be a great fit, but I didn't even really look at that, you know, and I didn't know that much about that school at the time either. And if I would have done, you know, a little more homework, I probably 
would have uh, you know evaluated things differently. Mm-hmm. But I, I, th- I think you do make a great point. It's, it's oftentimes what is the closest, um, and depending on which part of the country you live in, that could uh, very well change how how you practice. You know, ultimately the way the way that you become uh, a, a doctor. Yeah. So you mentioned the kind of this um, almost spectrum of the schools. Uh, when you were going through chiropractic school, uh, did you have a a particular interest or focus, whether it was more philosophy, sports, nutrition, how did, how did that kind of develop? Um, early on, I, I didn't really have a strong, you know, push one way or another. I'd say that my biggest influence early probably was sports because a lot of us played, you know, sports growing up and we were, you know, athletes or at least involved in something or another. And so that was easy to gravitate towards. Um, but then as I, as I went through school, uh, I remember, one, I think it was like our first or second trimester, we had a, an evidence-informed practice course and, you know, talking about, you know, how to evaluate research and how to apply those to your practice using, you know, best guidelines, your clinical skill and the patient preferences to come to that, you know, kind of sweet spot, um, the Goldilocks spot, you know, you might want to call it. So um, that, that was something that drew me into it. And that, I think, also, so sort of led me towards SACA a little bit, student ACA. Um, I had some friends who were going to um, the National Chiropractic. Um, it's now Leadership Conference. Um, it was Legislative Conference at the time. But uh, they were going. I was at second trimester, and they said, hey, you should come along. And so I, I you know, kind of bit the bullet and, and ended up uh, flying out there. And, you know, it's, I haven't looked back. I would, last year was my sixth year in a row. And I, I plan to go every year as long as I can afford it or, you know, w- I'm willing to continue to keep going. Um, so it's, I think that was definitely a big influence. Um, and as far as, you know, technique or the way I practice evolved throughout school, um, I definitely, you know, lean towards nutrition, um, some rehab, um, things that I wanted to incorporate, you know, the more I figured the more tools I have in my toolbox, the, the better or more valuable, diverse practitioner I'm going to be. Um, and I found that especially useful when I was working in, a, in um, right out of school in a small town in western Wisconsin, just across the border from um, Woodbury, kind of past Hudson, that area. Um, you know, small town, and I could be more of a primary care provider in that instance where I'm saying, hey, you know, uh, how, how is this aspect of your life going? How is that aspect of your life? Uh, maybe I can give you some exercises or we can talk a little bit about nutrition. Um, nothing that's, you know, maybe too um, over the top or too detailed, but just give them a superficial layer because most of my patients were farmers. They were, you know, electricians. They were guys that work construction. You know, it wasn't um, folks that maybe think about these things a lot. You know, they're, maybe their idea of uh, a healthy meal is, you know, meat and potatoes and, and which is fine, but right. maybe they, they slather it in, you know, all the toppings and everything. And, and that's the way that I grew up too. So, um, I'm not, I'm not knocking, I'm just saying that's the, it's a different mindset. And so being able to kind of offer little tidbits to maybe change their, their way of thinking, you know, I, I would often say, you know, small changes over time, you know, accumulate to make big results. It's like compound interest, you know, you can make small steps, over the long haul, that's that's where real change happens. So, would you say that holistic is a good description of your approach? Yes, ab- absolutely. Um, you know, looking looking obviously at at the whole person and not just, hey, do you have a an L four vertebrae that's maybe a little stuck? Right. You know, and 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 um, I I personally I don't badmouth anybody. I, I I think that the more um, I think diversity is actually a strength in our in our profession. Um, that being said, I think some forms of standards, standardization or guideline following is essential. Um, you know, look at Ray Kroc with McDonald's, right? I mean, you, you can go to McDonald's in Seattle or in New York and you know that a cheeseburger is a cheeseburger is a cheeseburger. And I think the more that we can get towards that Ray Kroc McDonald's model, the better off we're going to be as a profession because people will say, yeah, I'm going to a chiropractor. I pretty much know what he or she is going to do. I know what to expect. I know approximately how much it's going to cost, you know, may vary based on geography, but really it's, I know what I'm getting into. And, and I think that that is less scary for some folks, you know, that that's why it, I think some people are turned off in some instances. Yeah. That standardization seems to be a, bit, a huge challenge right now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we see certainly with the rebranding of the ACA, which just occurred, 
mm-hmm. they, you know, they made, they kind of put their foot down, kind of planted firmly where they stand and other organizations are not happy. What, mm-hmm. what do you see that, that process being like to get to where we can be fairly standardized? Well, I, I personally, I think that what the ACA did was fantastic. Um, it's, it's not so much, a you know, this is our club and, you know, we're trying to be exclusionary. It's more of a, Hey, this is what we stand for. And these are the, these are the standards that we're trying to hold people accountable to. That was one of the things when they went through the branding study that people continually brought up or, or it seemed like they talked about was accountability. How do we, you know, are we doing what we say we're doing? You know, are, are we able to produce the results that we think we're producing and not making claims that are maybe disingenuous, whether, um, you know, purposefully or not, you know, so obviously some folks say things and they don't know that maybe they're, they're incorrect or they're not based on, you know, current evidence. Um, and I'm constantly learning all the time. I mean, I'm, I, I don't have all the answers and I don't claim to, but I think that by saying, you know, here's some guidelines that we, we like to abide by or, um, the new choosing wisely program that the ACA endorsed or, or vice versa, you know, saying here's, here's five steps, five things that you should look for when you're, you know, going to a chiropractor or, um, seeking chiropractic care, you know, and here's what these providers should do. And the more we can do that McDonald's Ray Kroc standardization that I think the better off we're going to be as a profession as well. And one thing that I also thought was good about the, the rebranding was, you know, it was kind of a line in the sand to a certain degree and just saying, Hey, we're, we're not here to unite the profession per se. That's not our job. Our job is not to, to make everybody look good. Um, and I know it sounds a little callous to some and it probably will, Mm -hmm. but really the, the job of the organization is to do what's best for their members and, and to support their members. And that was one of the things that, you know, through the new mission, vision and values, was stated was that we support our members and support them, um, you know, empowering and, 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 you know, strengthening the health of their communities. Yeah. It certainly has made a splash, especially the x-ray guidelines. Oh yeah. It's <laughs> kind of been the most controversial aspect of it. Kind mm-hmm. of funny in a way. I mean, cause there were so many pieces to that, to that choosing wisely campaign, but yeah, the x-ray thing is, just man, everyone is is coming out in favor or against it. Um, you know, I noticed. I'm curious if you have a thought on that because in my experience at the VA, uh, every patient had an X-ray before mm-hmm. coming to the chiropractor, and I was. Well, tell me what your thoughts are, and we can talk about about that. Well, I, I understand from their aspect. I think the VA being a larger healthcare system. Um, they have to go through their primary care provider. So oftentimes they're trying to rule out something, you know, major, more, more the red flag type of thing. Um, whether or not it's always clinically indicated is, it remains to be seen, but it's nice. I have to admit as a practitioner to have that information. Um, so it's nice when someone comes in and says, yeah, I've got this low back pain. It's been going on for, you know, this duration. And I pull up their images and, you know, and the radiologist says, you know, there's some degenerative changes, but most part it's, you know, you're good to go. That makes me feel better as a provider knowing right. that at least some other, you know, provider's eyes have been on this. And I usually try to look over the images myself and I don't claim to be a radiologist, but just to, to look at it from a chiropractic perspective to see, you know, is there some things that are a little different? Cause there are some different nuances. I mean, sometimes they'll say, you know, no degenerative changes noted. And you go in there and you're like, uh, I, I might question that a little bit, you know, cause what, what is degenerative changes to them and what are the levels you know they're they're looking for is something big going on is there a tumor is there right. a, you know a, a pars defect uh, something big going on not they're not looking for small little changes that we might see as more um more relevant you know to to the overall case or, or the person that we're, we're treating yeah i actually enjoyed it as a as a intern or a clerk it was a clerkship technically I mean, as a, as a student, it's awesome to have an x-ray on every patient and be able to look over it. It was really good practice. Mm-hmm. Um, I do still kind of, you know, wonder how necessary all of that imaging is, but, but they, mm-hmm. they get filtered through the system and that's, that's how it is. So yeah. now how, how did the VA come up on your radar? How did you decide on that? I, so as I was, I was finishing up school, I had talked to a few folks, um, you know, Bill Morgan. Um, Dr. Morgan, who's now, um, I think the, the Dean at, at Parker, 
senior um, president, or, I think. Or, or pre- president. I maybe think it's president. Yeah. Um, you know, him speaking at one of the SACA leadership conferences. Um, I think it was, I can't remember which one it might've been at foot levelers in Virginia. Um, but he was there and there was some, also some folks from the VA. I remember Dr. Lisi was there. Um, I believe Dr. Pam Wakefield from St. Louis, Valerie Johnson from, uh, Los Angeles. And there may have been one other one, but I think there was three for sure. And they had a panel of them and they were just talking about their experiences and working with veterans. And, um, I had done my, my T10 or trimester 10, uh, preceptorship as, as we call it at Northwestern, um, in a hospital working in inpatient rehab in North Carolina. So if you're have all your requirements done, all your adjustments, x-rays, all that stuff, you can leave the state and go work there. So I did that. And I really liked that integrative, um, collaborative approach. So when I heard them talking about it, um, it just, it made me want to do it even more. Um, and I thought it was so cool to, to be able to serve veterans as well. Um, you know, I, I didn't serve in the military, but I have a lot of, um, uncles and cousins and both my grandfathers that served. So it's a great, uh, you know, great honor to work with them. And, and I really like that patient population. Um, and it, it keeps me, keeps me on my toes. It keeps me stimulated. And so I thought it was something that would be a challenge and that I would enjoy. So when I graduated, my wife, who's also a chiropractor, um, Liz Moose, she took a sports fellowship or a human performance fellowship working at Northwestern with Tim Stark. Mm, so I've heard his name. Yep. A two year fellowship. So that was kind of like, okay, well, I, I'm not going to go live away from you for uh, a year. We didn't want to, we were thinking about getting married. Um, so I was kind of put it on the back burner. And then as she was finishing up uh, about a year ago or, or so, I started thinking about it a little bit more and somebody mentioned, you know, Hey, have you thought about that residency? And I was like, yeah, maybe, maybe it is time to kind of revisit that. So, um, I just started thinking about it last fall some more, starting putting together some of the the materials for the application process in about November, getting my, um, uh, my references in, in December and then submitted in January. I think it was due like February 5th, submitted it, uh, in January. And then they had the application, uh, closed they did interviews um in march and and ended up getting selected um i think they told me at the end of march or early in april so it gave me a couple of months to to figure out a place to live in st louis and um and kind of how that was going to work but um that was that was mostly the timeline so from the time that i really started thinking about applying to when i actually started the job was probably eight months eight months, nine months. So it was just kind of, again, kind of came full circle. So. Yeah, that's excellent. Uh, I don't expect, you know, the exact numbers, but for the listeners, uh, who are less familiar with the VA program, do you have an idea of how many chiropractors now are within the VA system? Yeah. I, uh, one of our calls recently, they had talked about updated numbers. I want to say it's somewhere around 85 or 90 chiropractors in about 65 hospitals. Okay. I, th- I think, and it maybe is a little bit more than that now because those numbers may have been from a year or two previous, mm-hmm. but it's so- somewhere in that probably, you know, 85, 90 to 100 docs in about 65 to 70 hospitals. Okay. And it, it seems like it's growing from my understanding is that it's only going to continue to grow. And so there will, there should be more positions, you know, in the next year, 18 months, 24 months, um, you know, opening up. So that'll be, that'll be great for the profession. Yeah, and now they're the VA residency program uh, was kind of in a uh, a pilot program mode, but it seems that now mm-hmm. that is that is officially a, a residency of the VA that will continue. Cor- correct. Um, so at um, NCLC this year, Dr. Lisi spoke, and he mentioned that um, it was a three year pilot. And they got the this you know the results back, and they found that um, you know they did what they thought it was going to do. It you know it reduced costs, it had great outcomes and great patient satisfaction. So they hit the triple aim of patient healthcare, and um, it's now a standing program um, in, in the VA. So as long as um, you know nothing crazy happens, I, I, I'm guessing that the, these five sites um, will continue to to progress throughout the next you know five ten twenty years hopefully in perpetuity but then also hopefully expanded upon that to you know ten sites or fifteen sites um, you know maybe one near every school um, you know northwestern would be Minneapolis um, you know there's there's other ones maybe in the Pacific Northwest near near UWS or 
um, some other ones in, you know, in New York as well. Cause there's two in upstate New York right now, but maybe there's one in Manhattan or, mm-hmm. you know, they do, they do one in DC or, or something in Florida even. So, um, there, there's three on the East coast. Um, yeah, I, maybe I'll just mention that there's one in West Haven, Connecticut. There's two in upstate New York. So Buffalo and Canandaigua. And I always have a hard time saying that. So I may, hopefully I didn't mispronounce that. That's but, how I would have said it. Yeah. <laughs> that, uh, St. Louis and then you know, greater Los Angeles. So, okay, great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and there's plenty more, as I mentioned, the, the chiropractic clerkships, uh, which mm-hmm. are a shorter term, a three month or one, one term, whatever that is for your school, I believe. And so you can go mm-hmm. and do a, a mini residency as it were. Yep. Um, so that's great. I'm, I'm glad it's, it's expanding. I hope it does increase beyond the five, um, locations and, uh, yeah. And that chiropractic continues to expand. Um, now we mentioned the ACA kind of rebranding as well as, you know, these different campaigns and, and kind of part of that, at least I started noticing it around the same time was this new series of blogs on the ACA website. And mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of categories. And one of them specifically is VA chiropractic residencies. And this is where I first heard about you. How did this come to pass? So one of the other residents, uh, Stephanie Halloran, she works uh, with Dr. Lisi, who is the national program director for all of chiropractic. And uh, she was also highly involved in SACA at the national level. And so well, we, we've known each other for some time. And we were just kind of talking about, you know, it would be cool to, to share these experiences with, with folks because we're, we're, you know, we're getting texted and Facebook messaged and, and different things and people were curious. And so instead of messaging, you know, a hundred different people, let's just put out a blog. And, um, and so we, we kind of ran the idea past Dr. Lisi and sketched out some, some broad topics, you know, um, with the, the initial post being about, um, you know, kind of a typical, you know, week or a typical day or, or you know, a period of time in, in our respective uh, environments. And then um, kind of branching out into, you know, how do you apply for this? Um, you know, what are what are some of the things to think about as far as rotations, interprofessional collaboration, um, you know, building those relationships, fostering good, um, you know, healthy interprofessional communication? Because I think that's really where the key is here. And that's one of the, the strengths of this residency is showing other providers, Hey, we, you know, we, we know what we're doing. And as long as you kind of stay in your lane and, 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 you know, do what you are trained to do and stay within your scope, you know, they're like, Hey, yeah, we're all on board. Like, you know, there aren't that many great options for low back pain. You know, that's kind of our bread and butter. And obviously we treat more than just low back pain, but that's the majority of what we see. And so, um, they're, they're more than happy to have, you know, other options and, and people that they can trust. And it goes back to that. Do they know what they're getting out of you? You know, really it's, it's building that relationship say, yeah, when I refer to the, to that doctor, um, I, I know what I'm going to get out of them. So, um, going back to the, the blogs, um, we actually have another, uh, a third Rachel Moore's she's out in Los Angeles. Um, and so she's hopping on board as well with, with the, uh, the blogs. So we're planning on, on posting each of us once a month. So about every 10 days, we should be having a new blog post come out. Um, I have one that will be due coming up here at the start of the month. So, um, look for that. And that's again on acatoday.org and you can just search in blogs and it should be under there on the left-hand side under the tabs. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, we're just going to try to, you know, answer questions. I mean, if people want to send in questions that we're going to do maybe even like a Q and a session type of a thing. Um, but really we just want to make this a, a resource to, to kind of shine a light on what the experience is like and, and see if we can, you know, inspire or help other, you know, students or, or chiropractors, you know, um, learn about this. So, yeah, that'd be awesome. I'd love to see more stuff coming. The ACA has really been doing good on their social media with mm-hmm. Facebook live sessions. So, I'd love to see at NCLC this coming year if all your residencies are, are together, get them uh, that, to, it, to publish uh, Facebook Live with you. Yeah, you're you're actually I think uh, you're you're getting ahead of the game because that's that's actually one of the things we were thinking about. So you're ah, you're spot awesome. on. Awesome. You're spot you're spot on with that uh, that uh, <laughs> assessment. We talked we talked about it. anybody who's at NCLC this year. We'd like to do um, maybe a Facebook Live video. So and just take questions and. Uh, you know, see what we can see what we can put out there and answer. So you're, good, you're, uh, good. you're spot on. <laughs> do it, do it. Um, so talk us through a typical week at the St. Louis VA Medical Center. 
Yeah. So uh, typically, uh, my my weeks are broken down into a few different categories. Um, all, all residencies are. It's the clinical aspect, uh, scholarly activities, and then rotations. So uh, typically, uh, Mondays, I'm coming in, I'm treating patients um, between 8 and noon, and then 1 and 4. Um, I usually get in about 7.30, we prep and do notes and things, and then work a little bit over lunch too. Um, and So Mondays are mostly clinical. Tuesdays, um, my program uh, director, uh, Pam Wakefield, she um, has admin time. So the other doctor, I'm working under his um, schedule so or his clinic grid. So I'm treating patients with his his grid and also going to be doing some scholarly you know activities at that time. And what does that mean? That means um, you know working on things like a case report. Um, I submitted a, a case report for ACC RAC that is hopefully going to get accepted and and can present in Dallas this year. Um, doing things like uh, research, um, you know, doing some data mining. We, we're just kind of going retrospectively, looking at some, uh, you know, an 18-month period, two-year two period, and having, you know, maybe 15, 20 data points and trying to see, you know, what are some of the outcomes for our patients. Um, you know, reading literature. Um, we have a, uh, a course, um, some courses that we take through um, NYCC. So right now we're taking a geriatrics course. The five residents are. Um, and so it's, it's, uh, like a 15 week course, I think it is. So every week we have different discussions and things we need to read. Um, we just completed a project about a month ago, um, group project where, uh, my group did, um, you know, spinal examination procedures. So we went through all the data that we could find, um, meta-analysis, systematic reviews, everything, and tried to say, okay, for, this condition, you know, um, radiculopathy or a facet syndrome or whatever it may be, here's the best tests for that, you know, to rule in or rule out these diagnoses. So those are the scholarly activities that takes up mostly um, on Tuesdays and then Thursday afternoons and uh, some time in between. Wednesdays, mostly treating again. Um, Fridays is, is mostly treating. We do some intakes on Friday for what we call the IPR program or interdisciplinary pain rehabilitation program, which is, um, something that I've really, um, come to enjoy working you know, as a part of. So the, the premise of this program is it's a 12 week program for chronic pain patients who may have had some surgeries or injections, um, or, you know, maybe done some physical therapy or some chiropractic, um, or a few other things, but nothing's really clicked. And so the whole purpose of the program is to have them work one day a week, whether that's a Monday, a Wednesday or a Thursday, they come in for four hours. So today being a Monday, we had our, our pain group come in. And so the first hour they go to the gym or the pool and work out the second two hours, nine to 11, they see the medical doctor, the chiropractor, the physical therapist, and possibly the nutritionist. And then their last hour is a group session, 11 to 12, usually with the pain psychologist. Um, that's one of the things that's been unique working in the VA um, that was different from private practice for me was the what we call psychosocial overlay where they have, um, you know, your, your mental health affects your pain. And we know that these play into one another, um, but seeing it, you know, in the veteran population with some of their unique experiences, um, you can imagine that there's more challenges sometimes that we have to overcome. And so addressing their pain from a variety of aspects, different, different points per se, really produces, you know, pretty, pretty great results. I'm not saying everybody, you know, benefits or gets better, but, um, when you have all the different providers working on the same person at the same time, all on the same page, um, it, it, you know, it really does produce some great results. And I think that there's an important distinction. And I, I mentioned this to Brendan McCann, who you brought up earlier. We, we were chatting some, he was asking me about it. And I said, you know, I said, how's the multidisciplinary aspect? And I said, it's, you know, it's more of an interdisciplinary. And the real caveat to that is multidisciplinary being, you're seeing multiple providers, but they're usually not all in the same location. They're not all in-house. Mm -hmm. So I may be doing physical therapy at one building, seeing a doctor in a hospital, going to a chiropractic office, and I have separate psychology sessions. Well, when they're not talking to one another, it's hard to build a cohesive plan and set goals to, towards working to achieving. So working in an interdisciplinary study, so that takes for those days are on Fridays. And then as I mentioned, okay. Uh, so that's a one day a week. They come for two hours. These patients. 
Um, so they come one day a week for four hours. Four so, hours. Wow. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah they, it's a really it's a big commitment, and we yeah. we lay it we lay it out for them. We said this is a, a self directive active program. This is not passive care. We will be doing passive work, but really we are basically guiding them through this process. Again, okay. the first first hour is uh, working out. The next two hours is seeing all the providers, and then the third hour is, is a group session. Um, where they they come together and they really get to interact. And I've heard from multiple veterans that that's one of the most beneficial things is hearing from the other veterans and saying, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not alone in this. Like, oh, you have insomnia too because of some of your, you know, night right. night trauma, you know, things that you're you're thinking of. Or, yeah, I have chronic pain too, and I I've tried this X Y and Z, and it doesn't seem to help. And the fact that they don't feel alone in in this really is encouraging for them. You know, they can they can build that camaraderie as well. So. That's great. I mean, that sounds like something that we need to get. Well, first of all, I'm I'm looking forward to see some data on the outcomes from that. I'm imagining they're going to track that and publish something. So that'll yep. be excited to see. And then mm-hmm. to come up with a way that we can implement that outside of the VA, just, I mean, that's what everybody needs, it seems like, you know? Yeah, it, it, absolutely. That was one of the things that I they had me read when I first came in was um, about interdisciplinary pain and chronic pain programs and how that seems to be that's going to be more of the model moving forward is working in these small tight-knit you know provider groups um so that you do get that kind of not closely monitored but you know you're working towards those goals all on the same page and yeah i I think that that's a great point that you bring up is how can we move this outside of the va because obviously the veterans are benefiting from this but um all citizens could benefit from this you know the the general population where we're we're addressing their their needs from a variety of aspects and some people you know don't qualify for the program for a variety of reasons maybe they um, aren't physically able to because we again we ask them to be active so not only do they have to participate in the gym or the pool program in the morning but also we ask you know you do some things outside of here we want you to, to either sign up for a gym or come to the gym here on your off days or you know make sure you're going for walks or doing some resistance training or whatever it might be because um, you know as we know active care and passive care combination through the literature is going to produce the best results so um, we it can't just all be passive so there is some exclusionary criteria amongst a few other things but um, and sometimes we say you know you might just benefit from doing a little physical therapy and maybe a couple sessions with a psychologist or you know maybe just doing chiropractic and um, you know modifying your meds a little bit you know and with opioids, the opioid crisis, you know, being on everybody's radar, you hear mm-hmm. it every day. Um, the providers are hyper aware of that. Um, and so in my experience over the past four months, you know, nobody has increased their doses. You know, we don't really do new patients on opioids. We don't really do um, increases in dosages. That being said, there is a um, opioid refill clinic in our pain center where um, those who are on higher doses of opioids, they come in. Um, they have to basically prove that they're still, um, you know, in need of these opioids. They are clean as far as a urinary drug screen, um, and a few other things to just touch base every so often. So you're not saying, Hey, you know, here's three months worth of hydrocodone or oxycodone and good luck. You know, it's, it's more of like, you got to come in every two, four, six, eight weeks, something like that to keep a little bit closer eye on, on those folks that have a higher, um, you know, prescription dosage. So, um, that's a, a you know not the pain program, but that's a different aspect of things as far as it relates to medication because of you know like I said the hyper awareness of, of things with the opioid crisis going on, and that's where we can really play a huge role as chiropractors. You know, a non non uh, pharmaceutical pain management option, and I think that's where we're going to really see a lot of the the increases in heroin's in, in you know in the near future. Yeah, wow, that's awesome. Um, I want to be mindful of your time, but I do want to ask a few more questions yeah, uh, go ahead, about your experience. So I'm, I mean, so we, we need to be mindful of the privacy of, of the veterans. And so I don't want you to share any, of course, uh, identifying information or anything like that. But I'll just say that yep. when I was in the VA, man, I met such a wide variety of individuals, you know, some just really stoic and tough people, um, just crazy characters as well. Of course I was in Vegas, so you kind of combine the two. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I guess I just want to hear, um, maybe one of the most memorable patient encounters you've had so far. Um, I, I the one that just jumps out at me right away is, um, getting to work with a world, world war II veteran. Um, he's a 90 year old guy. 
Um, and you know, I mean, there's not a whole lot of those around anymore. Right. Um, and, and just hearing his, um, his stories and he's pretty forthcoming. He talks about how he, you know, lost friends and, and, you know, they were just doing what they were called to do. And, you know, a lot of them were really young. Um, and you know, he, he had that experience where he, he just did what he needed to do, you know, and like you said, on the other you know, end of things, some guys don't want to talk about anything and, and, and females for that matter. Obviously there are, are lots of female um, service members and they should, um, you know, get the recognition as well. And I think that you're right. You do run the whole gamut. I mean, the, the youngest I've worked with is probably 21, 22 and the oldest being that, that 90 year old gentleman. Um, the average patient is probably about 55 year old, five years old or so, you know, 55 year old male. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I had one guy who was special forces. He's, you know, jumping out of planes all the time. Um, and he, he's just, he's just huge, you know, he just built and he's still, even though he's retired now, he still just keeps up with his, his physical fitness. So I can mm-hmm. only ima- imagine how, uh, you know, uh, intense he was back in his, in his younger days. So, um, but it, it's, it's really fun. And one of the things that I really like about it is this culture of respect. Um, you know, it's always, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Um, thank you, sir. You know, it just, it's ingrained in them from their days working, you know, um, serving in the military. And so it's, um, they're so appreciative of the care that you provide, um, in, in most cases. I mean, there's obviously some folks that could, they're just doing it because they want to increase their disability or they want, you know, they say, oh, they think that, you know, if I do this, then I can go get more pain meds if this fails, or I can go get a shot or a surgery if this fails. Um, but for the most part, the, the vast majority of folks are just very appreciative of, of the care that not just we provide as chiropractors, but, you know, everybody in the VA. And, and I think that the VA gets a, a really bad rap, um, you know, in general. And, and some things, rightly so, they, they should be, um, you know, called out on for, for some of their maybe negligence or, you know, lack of um, protocol adherence. But in general, there's a lot of great providers and the, the folks that I work with are fantastic and, and they're all um, doing what they you know need to do to, to, uh, to help the veterans, which if I can say one more thing about that, um, Dr. Um, Toombs, he's our, he's our pain clinic director. And he says that like every single meeting, you know, if the policies don't fit what's right for the veterans, we need to change the policies because we always need to do what's right for the veterans so you know and that just always sticks in my mind is like it if the policies don't fit well then we got to change it because it's it's really comes down to this is why we're here we're here to serve veterans and nothing more you've been able to do some rotations with uh mm-hmm. i'm assuming other departments other than the the ipr program mm-hmm. has there been an awesome rotation that you've done something that was just I don't know if you've been able to do surgery or anything, but, but what's uh, been a rotation that you've really enjoyed? Uh, pain interventions was pretty interesting. Um, you know, working in their, in their surgical suite, doing, um, some epidural injections some facet injections. Um, I'd seen those in the past. Um, so it was just, it was fun to see them again. Cause it felt like, Oh, I, I know, I kind of know how this works. It's familiar. Um, I've done some, um, behavior, health, mental health rotations, not sitting in a one-on-one sessions, but more of their mental health grand rounds. So learning kind of um, more on that aspect. I was at the primary care um, resident clinic about oh, wow. three, three weeks ago. Um, so there's two hospitals in St. Louis, uh, Jefferson Barracks, which is further south. It's where our pain clinic is at. And then there's the main hospital up in downtown St. Louis. And that's where this resident clinic is. It's a walking clinic. So um, and I was apparently the first chiropractor they've ever had shadow. So, uh, my supervisor was like, yeah, just show up. And, uh, I've been having a hard time getting a hold of him. So you're just going to show up and just ask him if you can follow some people around. <laughs> and so I just, they would grab a case off the wall and I'd be like, can I go sit in here with you? And I kind of introduced myself and everybody was really good about it. But, um, and that's kind of where that building relationships, you know, comes in, like I said, but, uh, yeah, that, that clinic was really interesting. And I've got like rheumatology coming up. Um, physical medicine and rehab. Um, what else? Uh, emergency um, care. I'll be doing a little bit of that. Oh, very um, cool. Obser- that should be fun. Obser- I just observing. yeah. I just certified as an EMT. Um, Excellent. Yeah, very very different. I mean, you just see a different kind of patient than a, than oh. would walk into a chiropractic clinic. Yeah, yeah, and, and very much more different than um, than what we get in our clinic with chronic right. pain. You know, we we yeah. don't see a whole lot of acute with them having to go through their primary. So right, it's 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 going to be even more different. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, well, you've kind of made it to the, 
uh, the upper echelon of, of chiropractic positions in a lot of ways. I mean, I know that at least in the past, chiropractic residents uh, are vying for a position where there's maybe 50 applicants for one location. Uh, they, uh, once you go on to the actually, uh, the, the more permanent positions after the residency, um, you know, the residents will, will beat out doctors who've been practicing for 10 years. Um, so there's a, you know, there's a lot of career capital, if you will, that you're going to, going to be able to garner. And I think a lot of students will be interested in that. What is one piece of advice you can give a student who might be considering doing a VA residency? I would say, you know, don't be intimidated by the whole process. You know, if it's something that you think you're interested in, start putting feelers out, start networking. And that's where some of the, the, uh, the you know, collaboration or, you know, relationships that you built throughout the years come, come in handy. Um, you know, people saying, you know, here, here's what you need to do. Somebody who's gone through the process, you know, I, I knew some folks who ended up being my references that knew, you know, like Dr. Lisi and could just, you know, say, Hey, you know, well, what sort of things are you looking for? And obviously they have a, a list of it, but it helps if you, if you can kind of get it from the horse's mouth, so to speak and, and say, yep, this is what we're looking for. And obviously that doesn't guarantee you anything, but it helps to know where you're at. And you know, if you can get in with some of those um, clerkships, that that's fantastic. We didn't have that option at Northwestern. Um, that we didn't have that relationship with our our VA. So um, right now we have three student clerks at at our St. Louis clinic. Oh wow! Um, and so okay. so they're I mean they're already you know from ahead Logan of the University game. from Logan. Yep. So right. they're already you know, ahead of the game, and I'm jealous of of them having that opportunity because <laughs> it's like man, that's awesome. I would have loved to have been a, you know a T eight, T nine, ten student. I think it's nine and ten. Um, trimesters. So that's just, you know, you're ahead of the game and, and thinking about if you do want to get into one of those positions, it, it, you don't have to be, you don't have to be great at one thing, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You be well-rounded. You know, when I, when I talked to my, the doc that I um, work with now, she said, you know, we, we look at a lot of different things. I mean, academics, obviously you have to be, you know, highly clinically competent. You have to have good references, but, you know, have a, have a diverse background with your, your CV or your resume. You know, she, she said personally for her and, and different, you know, um, program directors look at different things, but she said, you know, if you've, you know, volunteered for something, put that on there. You know, if you, mm-hmm. if you're part of a church group, put that on there. She's like, I want to know that you have a diverse background and that you've done a lot of different things and, and, um, you know, just showing off, you know, who you are as a person, get, giving them a better idea. And then obviously you have to get through interviews and, and do all that stuff and still be, you know, um, eloquent and communicate what you're, what you're, um, bringing to the table, but just be confident in the skills that you have. And, you know, you're, you're going to get a great education through school, um, and, and reach out to people. Uh, you know, I'm happy to be a resource. I know the other residents are, um, and that's part of the reason we're doing this is because we want to give everybody who's interested or maybe doesn't even know this exists, you know, maybe, right. maybe there's somebody that doesn't know it's out there and they're like, Oh, oh man, that's, that sounds amazing. Like I, I feel like that would, that's my passion, you know, that's what I'm drawn to. So, um, and as like I would expect, or I'm hoping to expect that this continues to expand, those opportunities will, will only increase. And ultimately we want, uh, want the best of the best of, of those to apply. Is there one thing you wish you had done differently on your journey? through chiropractic school and getting to where you're at now? I think I wish I would have branched out a little bit more in clubs. I kind of put all my eggs in the sack of basket, which I can't say I really regret it because I mean, I've, I pretty much all, all of my career capital relationships to that, mm-hmm. um, going to NCLC and, um, you know, I, I ended up doing a, uh, the leadership apprentice and mentorship program, the LAMP program through the ACA with Ray Tuck, who's the board of governors for the ACA, chairman of the board. So, I mean, you, you start doing these different programs and, and it's going to help. But, you know, I kind of wish I would have branched out maybe a little bit more in some other areas. Um, that being said, you know, don't be afraid to branch out more. You know, school isn't everything. You know, it's, it's, it's only part of the puzzle. And um, there's definitely folks that are smarter than me. I'm very you know, comfortable admitting that. I'm not the smartest person in my class. But, um, you know, if you have different skills that you can bring to the table, become more well-rounded, um, I think that makes you more valuable and, and a better provider for that matter. 
Mm -hmm. I think people relate to you a little more as well. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, well, I'd like for you to share something with the listeners. One thing I call the tick pick, one thing that you would recommend they go out and pick up, look at, read, listen to, watch. Do you have anything in mind? One book that I, I really liked was um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I'm um, not sure if you've read it. Um, it's, it's a pretty popular book, but one of the things I really liked about it um, as it goes through these different habits one of my favorites is it's called sharpening the saw. And the whole purpose of that is, is the whole work life balance because I, I'll admit it. I got a little burnt out in school, um, burnt out working, you know, through SACA national, national <laughs> chair. It's like, it's like, Oh my gosh. It's like, I just, I, my brain feels frazzled. So, um, yeah. you know, that finding that work life balance, taking time for yourself, whether it's, you know, having date night with your significant other or, you know, just sitting down and like, I'm just going to watch some dumb TV right now and not, like, I don't care what it is, just something to turn my brain off. But, um, yeah, I thought that was a, a great book. Seven habits of highly effective people. Awesome. Yeah. Stephen R. Covey, I believe. Yes, sir. Yep. One of the classics. Very good. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, Dr. Heiberg, thank you so much. Uh, how can students get a hold of you and learn more about the VA residency? You can reach me at my personal email if you'd like. Uh, it's sthybrecht at gmail, sthybrecht at gmail. Um, and hybrecht is spelled H-U-Y-B-R-E-C-H-T. Um, or you can uh, look me up on Facebook. Um, there should be links to some more com uh, contact or communication information through the, the ACA blogs. Um, but yeah, or... If you you know if you have any questions, uh, hopefully there'll be a link through this uh, this podcast page as well. Absolutely, I'll put all that in the show notes. A link to the ACA blogs for VA uh, chiropractic residents, and uh, and a link to your email because that is a, a it's, slightly, it's a <laughs> slightly difficult to spell. Yeah, I have seen worse, but uh, <laughs> great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, and I'm happy to uh, to help out any way I can. If anybody has questions, please feel free to reach out. Don't forget to try out Blinkist, Smarter You in 15 Minutes. Get your free three-day trial and access to a thousand best-selling nonfiction books transformed into powerful packs you can read in just 15 minutes. Go to exploringchiropractic.com slash Blinkist. Blinkist.